Good morning. My name is Jeremy Bonison. I'm one of the pastors here, and I'm excited to uh, come before you as we we look at the Lord's Supper. When when we started to have the idea about preaching before the Lord's Supper, I'm like, how long can this thing go before we exhaust it? But the deeper I look, we're not going to exhaust it. And you understand the significance of what the Lord's Supper is and what it means to the Lord and what he's doing. It's, it's more than just some bread and some, some juice. It's a huge significance. Annabeth and I, my wife and I, were uh, uh, celebrating our 30th wedding an- anniversary in November, at the end of November, our 30th wedding anniversary. And we went to Arizona, and I knew I was going to need to preach today. And uh, I'm like, Lord, what do you want? What do you want preached? And uh, he doesn't give it when, we, when I want it a lot of times. I have to wait and wait, you know. Um, but back in November, we were there in Arizona, and uh, we were at the, the hotel, and I'm looking out the window, and they have, we're in Sedona, and uh, there are these red rocks. If you've ever been in Arizona or out, out west, the southwest area, they have this red dirt and red rocks. And um, I'm looking out, and, and actually you, you can't see anything but maybe a little bit of sun and the red rocks as you're looking because the, the hotel room that we were in was, was sunken down a little bit. I happened to be reading Revelation and uh, reading about God pouring out his wrath and the blood that was knee-deep, um, if, if you know that passage. And I was just thinking about this, and then God you know, brought that to my mind that, wow, that the dirt is going to be stained red for those who, don't, who do not know Christ and those who are wicked. And it, it was pretty astounding. I'm like, Wow. That's, that's pretty amazing. And then, and I'm wearing red for that sake, okay. Uh, works for Chiefs too, but. Um, but then, what other red do we have as, of significance in the Bible? Well, the blood of Christ, right? And so those two things, the, the fact that it's either going to be Christ's blood or it's going to be your blood. And that's a pretty sobering understanding, so as, I, as I'm driving, you know, through uh, Arizona and I'm seeing the red dirt and red rocks everywhere, God is just bringing it back time and time again. His blood or our blood. And then we went to the Grand Canyon. That's the main reason why we wanted to go to Arizona is for our 30th is, is to go to the Grand Canyon. And uh, as I'm using all these things, I'm looking at the it's first time I've ever seen the Grand Canyon. If you've never had the the blessing of going, it, it's amazing. You, you step out and look, and it's, it's just immense. And uh, as I'm, I'm thinking about how immense it is, God brought to my heart um, the immense gap, as I'm seeing people from around the world come to the, to the Grand Canyon, and those who may not know him, the gap that is sin. And, and God placed that, you know, on my heart that this immense gap is just a token to understand the gap of sin 
between us and between the Lord. But like God does, um, he impressed upon me, I've filled that gap. See how wide that gap is? I've filled that gap with my love. And so, as God does many times, I, I'm, I apologize, um, I, I just got the vision of the people who were, who were there that day, and um, it just struck me. But as God does many times, he, he has contrast in his word of the great disparity and his great love. And so, as I was um, asking the Lord, okay, give, give me a topic, Lord, of what you want me to preach. He didn't give it to me on that trip. But when I came home, um, he did. And it fit into what, that, that analogy. And we'll, we'll talk about that um, later. But those two things of God's great love and the great need. So I want you to be turning to 1 Corinthians chapter 11. And as you're turning to 1 Corinthians chapter 11, and do we have the PowerPoint? No? Okay. We're going to go PowerPointless. I, I think Ray, Ray said he had it, so um, we can, he's working on it. Okay. Um, so as we turn there, oh, it's just behind me. It's just not there. Okay, you can see it. I just can't see it. Okay. Um, it's, it's probably more important than you see it. So, so as I was um, working through the topic, one thing that as I was thinking about the Lord's Supper, I thought, this is a strange way, don't you think, to celebrate the Lord is this, this eating that we do? Have you ever thought about it, that, that it's, it's eating? And so just thinking about the fact of why do we celebrate the Lord's Supper by eating? Have you really thought about that? But it, it's kind of strange. Most people, you know, just do it. But it's kind of odd. You know, how do we typically remember our loved ones who passed away? We don't usually eat with crackers and juice with them, do we? No. Many times we, we remember them through photographs or the words that they've left for us, Right? And I submit to you that that's exactly what the Lord has left us to remember him, even in the Lord's Supper. His amazing word provides pictures to remember him and the promises that he has given to us in his word. Those pictures are like a beautiful tapestry in his holy word. 1 Corinthians chapter 11, verse 23 says, For I received of the Lord that which also I declared. Delivered unto you, that the Lord Jesus, the same night in which he was betrayed, took bread. And when he had given thanks, he brake it and said, Take, eat. This is my body, which is broken for you. This do in remembrance of me. After the same manner also, he took the cup when he had supped, saying, This cup is the New Testament in my blood. This do ye. As oft as you drink in remembrance of me. For as often as you eat this bread and drink this cup, you do show the Lord's death till he come. Let's pray. Father in heaven, holy is your name. We praise you and thank you for your holy word, your mind that you give to us. 
and how amazing it is that you have placed every single word in the way, in the manner that you have decided. And Lord, if we just study, if we just dig out what you've placed, the patterns, the pictures come together to show what you want us to know, what you want to reveal to us. Lord, they're they're mysteries for those who can't understand it because they don't have the Holy Spirit. But Lord, to your church, you have you have set a table that is your word for us to see the majesty that is in you. And Lord, we thank you for that. Lord, I, I pray that you would uh, work through this, this scripture, that your Holy Spirit would reveal what you are doing with the Lord's Supper and we would have a new, a new understanding and respect for what you're doing. We love you and we thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. So we'll see today how the Lord's Supper fits into God's timeline for the church and for his kingdom. It's our tie to the past, and it also connects us with the future. So how is, how is the word supper defined? Now, some people say dinner, some people say supper, and everybody's confused on which one you mean sometimes. Have you ever had that happen? Yes, okay. Um, it's interesting to note that the word dinner is only mentioned four times in the Bible. It doesn't have nearly the same significance as supper. But as I was looking at the, the word supper, God was showing me what, what he wants us to understand and the significance of, of his word. So the word supper um, is defined, and next slide please, so it's a, it's a social meal in which people gather in the evening, typically the evening, for the purpose of eating and fellowship. The particular point of fellowship can differ with each supper. So why do you gather? It's, it's usually because you want to gather for a reason to eat, but also something else. Whether it's to celebrate something, to spend time with family, there's a particular purpose of fellowship. And that's how it's been designed through the ages. The word supper has a special significance in the Bible and why uh, that's what we're going to learn today. You're going to learn why today. Now, supper in general is a good thing. Uh, It's something that we as Americans don't do together as far as fellowship together. Oh, we're too busy. And then you find out later in life you were too busy to do some of the most important things. But the matter of time that families sit down and eat together is very dismal. In fact, there's a direct link to the fact that families sit down or lack thereof and eat together and have fellowship and problems that we have in our culture. Now, it's, uh, I, I think there are more things going on than just that, but... Studies show that regular family suppers are associated with lower rates of depression, lower rates of anxiety, substance abuse, eating disorder, tobacco use, early pregnancy, and it goes on and on and on. Those people who sit down together as a family and eat together on a regular basis, five to seven times a week, have healthier families. Regular family meals promote higher rates of resilience in teenagers. Higher self-esteem, good grades in schools, mom and dad, even physical and emotional health. Those people who sit down regularly for a meal as a family and together with fellowship 
do better. But beyond that, the word supper in the Bible has a fascinating, is a fascinating study that reveals the significance of why our Lord wanted us to remember him with a symbolic supper. Next slide, please. There are 14 mentions of the word supper in the Bible. That's all there are. All of them are in the New Testament. Three times the word gives us insight to the personal aspect of supper related to fellowship. And 11 times the word gives us insight to his historical timeline of God's plan for mankind. So a lot of times people say, well, Jeremy, the reason we eat in the Lord's Supper is because, of course... It relates to the Last Supper, right? That Jesus had, the the last Passover, and that's why we do it. Oh, it's far more significant than that. It does that, but when you dig in, it connects far past that and far beyond that in God's timeline of what he's doing. And it helps us understand why he wants to continually, he wants us to continually practice and celebrate the Lord's Supper. It's not just the practice of eating some crackers and drinking some juice or just only considering his sacrifice for us. And it is that, but far more than that. Turn to Mark chapter 6. In Mark chapter 6, we'll see the first of three mentions that show the significance of fellowship And the word supper emphasizes the fellowship, a close relationship, and accord that people have. Now, it's very interesting in Mark 6, we're going to look at Mark 6, John 12, and John 21. And each one has a unique significance. But the first mention of this word, and if you're a Bible student, you'll know that the first mention of word is important. It sets a tone. And this is, this is a unique one for sure, because this next one, next slide please, is in Mark 6, we see the fellowship of sin and wickedness. That's an odd way to start. So this is the story of, of Herod and Herod's supper in Mark chapter 6. And this is the first mention. In verse 17, it says this, for Herod himself had sent forth and laid hold upon John and bound him in prison for Herodias' sake. That was his wife, his brother Philip's wife. Now, um, Herod, this is Herod Antipas, and there were um, a line of Herods that are in the Bible and their significance. Uh, One Herod was Herod the Great, and he was the wicked man who, when Jesus was born, killed all the babies. That was Herod the Great. He had four sons, and one of those sons is Herod Antipas that we see here in Mark chapter 6. A second son was was Herod Philip. And both of those men were uncles of Herodias, and she married both of them. Interesting lady. Says, for he had married her. And verse 18, for John had said unto Herod, it is not lawful for thee to have thy brother's wife. Now Herod was a very wicked man, very powerful man. And John the Baptist spoke out against him. In verse 19, 
Therefore, Herodias had a quarrel against him. So this lady wasn't too fond of John the Baptist calling out her wicked marriage. But not just fond, she hated him. And it says, therefore, Herodias had a quarrel against him and would have killed him, but she could not. For Herod feared John, knowing that he was a just man and unholy, and observed him. And when he had heard him, he did many things and heard him gladly. So that, that was Herod. He wanted to hear of John the Baptist more and more. But his wife was looking for an opportunity to kill John the Baptist. Verse 21, and when a convenient day was come, that's another interesting study. If you look at convenient in the Bible, it's, it's most of the time not good. When a convenient day, and that's, we as Americans like our convenience, but check out what the Bible has to say about that. (laughs) That Herod, on his birthday, made a supper to his lords, high captains, and chief estates of Galilee. So Herod made a supper. This is the first mention of the word supper. This is not a nice supper. So we see selfishness, we see wickedness going on, and it even gets worse. In verse 22, and when the daughter of said Herodias came in, so Herod's wife's daughter, she was a stepdaughter to him, and danced and pleased Herod, that's weird, and them that sat with him, the king said unto the damsel, ask of me whatsoever thou wilt, and I will give it thee. And he sware unto her, whatsoever thou ask of me, I will give it thee unto half of my kingdom. And she went forth and said unto her mother, what shall I ask? And she said, the head of John the Baptist... And she came in straightway with haste unto the king and asked, saying, I will that thou give me by and by in a charger the head of John the Baptist. And the king was exceeding sorry. For yet his oath's sake and for their sakes which sat with him, he would not reject her. And immediately the king sent an executioner and commanded his head to be brought. And he went and beheaded him in the prison. In the prison. And he brought his head in a charger and gave it to the damsel, and the damsel gave it to her mother. Wow. So that's the first look at supper that we're going to look at. Wicked Herodias was married unto her uncle, uh, Herod Philip, and then she left him and married her uncle, Herod Antipas. Now, Herod should have said no to his wife when she asked Uh, when she had her daughter ask for John's death, but he didn't. And it harkens back to a time when there was a man who should have said no to his wife and protected her and did not. A long, long time ago with Adam. He didn't say no. He just was passive and let it happen. And death ensued for all of mankind. So this passage harkens back even to that because of the pictures if you pay attention with your king james bible the way that it's written god has placed breadcrumbs all throughout the bible like a thread that goes through because god wants to reveal what he's doing in the modern translations they change it because they just look at that passage and they want you to think well let's make it more understandable because we got to help god out people can't understand this word not understanding that God has something for them if they will just dig it out and see. So in this first mention, the word supper, we see what a a wicked fellowship that is going on at this supper. Even the onlookers were complicit to murder. They could have stood up and said, stop, 
They didn't. Herod's supper was a supper of wickedness. And it shows us the fellowship of wicked men. Each and every day, but especially during the Lord's Supper, we must be clean of pride, selfishness, wickedness, and cling to the fellowship with our Lord Jesus and his true followers. So it's important for us to understand we got to be clean of those things when we approach the Lord's Supper. Second mention. Turn to John chapter 12. John chapter 12 is a much different supper, a little bit happier, a lot happier actually. In John chapter 12, we see a fellowship of love and service to Jesus. This is the supper that Mary, Martha, and Lazarus made for Jesus after Lazarus was risen from the dead. In John chapter 12 and verse 1 it says, Then Jesus, six days before the Passover, came to Bethany. Now, it's interesting that this is placed. If you pay attention to what God is doing, this is right before Jesus has the last supper or the last Passover. And it's it's situated there, which is important. And it says, where Lazarus was, which had been dead, whom he raised, whom Jesus raised from the dead. There they made him a supper And Martha served, but Lazarus was one of them that sat at the table with him. Then took Mary a a pound of ointment of spinknard, very costly, and anointed the feet of Jesus and wiped his feet with her hair. And the house was filled with the odor of ointment. So in this second supper, we see something much different. We see those who love the Lord Jesus and want to serve him. So much so that a woman... I mean, the glory of a woman is her hair. She said, I'm going to wipe, I'm going to use my hair to wipe his feet. So the supper that Mary, Martha, and Lazarus made for Jesus shows us the love for Jesus and fellowship of service to the Lord. And each and every day, but especially during the Lord's Supper, we must reflect on our devotion, our love, and our service to Jesus as his follower and his disciple. So we should reflect, what, what are we doing for the Lord? Whatever, whether it's our, our time, our talent, or our treasure. What, what are we doing? How are we loving the Lord and serving him? Okay, third one, John 21. In John 21, we see Jesus' fellowship of love and ministry to us. So the third point of of fellowship. This is when Jesus prepared a supper of fish for his disciples on the seashore. So after Jesus was resurrected, he comes to them. And if you remember the story, they're they're out fishing and he's on the shore. Let's look at verse 8. John 21, 8. And the other disciples came in a little ship, for they were not far off, not far from land. But as it were... 200 cubits dragging the net with fishes as soon then as they were come to land they saw fire of coals there and fish laid thereon and bread Jesus saith unto them bring of the fish which ye have caught now caught Simon Peter went up and drew the net to land full of great fishes 150 and three and for all there were so many yet was the net not broke not the net broken Jesus saith unto them, come and dine. 
And none of his disciples durst ask him, Who art thou? Knowing that it was the Lord. Jesus then cometh and taketh bread and giveth them and fish likewise. Now this is the third time that Jesus showed himself to his disciples after that he was risen from the dead. So when they had dined, Jesus saith to Simon Peter, Simon, son of Jonas, lovest thou me more than these? He saith unto him, Yea, Lord, thou knowest I love thee. He saith unto him, Feed my lambs. He saith unto him again a second time, Simon, son of Jonas, lovest thou me? He saith unto him, Yea, Lord, thou knowest I love thee. He saith unto him, Feed my sheep. He saith unto him a third time, Simon, son of Jonas, lovest thou me? Peter was grieved because he said unto him a third time, lovest thou me? And he said unto him, Lord, thou knowest all things. Thou knowest that I love thee. Jesus saith unto him, feed my sheep. And then in verse 20, Peter turning about, seeth the disciple whom Jesus loved, that's John following which also leaned on his breast at supper. So that, there's the use of supper. And even though the supper that we we're looking at that Jesus made, God made it clear he, he put this supper right here so we could see the trail of what he was doing in context. And said, Lord, which is he that betrayeth thee? Peter, seeing him, saith to Jesus, Lord, and what, what shall this man do? And Jesus saith unto him, if I will that he tarry till I come, what is it to, to thee? Follow thou me. He said, you need to follow me. You need to feed my sheep. If you say you love me, then do it. Then do it. So this, this supper is unique in the fact that it's Jesus doing the work. He was on the shore. He was the one preparing the meal for his disciples. And the supper Jesus made for his disciples shows us the love the, the Lord Jesus had for his disciples and the fellowship of following Jesus in his mission. So there's a lot there with fish um, before that we didn't have time to look at, but following him in his mission to, to make disciples with the fish and build disciples in the sheep and feeding them. But this supper that Jesus made for his disciples emphasizes the fact that we are to reflect on his love, his sacrifice, his provisions, and his service that he shows for us. Not only in the cross, but also in caring for our every single need. It's also a call for us to consider his call in our life to take up his mission and draw men as fish and feed those who follow him like sheep. So, every day, but, but especially during the Lord's Supper, we should be reflecting on what has Jesus done in my life. Not only on the cross, but each and every day, his service and how he provides for us. So we have those three points of very personal uh, fellowship that happen. One of wickedness, one of service to the Lord and love for the Lord, and one of Lord, the Lord's service and love for us. Now, that could be enough, and we could just end right there, but it gets so much better. Now that we've examined the very personal distinction of fellowship that God has placed like bread crumbs in our study of the word supper in the Bible, let's consider how God wants you and me to understand his plan for his kingdom in the remaining 11 mentions of this word, because it gets better.
So in the remaining 11 mentions of the word supper, it outlines five key aspects in the timeline that God has for his church and for mankind. And God has done this in the context of supper that we repeatedly practice and celebrate. So God wants us to understand how important, how set apart this ordinance is. So turn to Luke chapter 14. In Luke chapter 14, we see the great supper of grace. The word supper is found four times in Luke, more than any other place. So Luke chapter 14, it's found four times. And it shows us the great principle and parable of grace given to those who will receive the call of grace. And it's also a warning to Israel. So it was a pivotal time in the nation of Israel. In Luke chapter 14 and verse 12, it says this. Then said he also to him that bade him, When thou makest a dinner or a supper, call not thy friends nor thy brethren, neither thy kinsmen nor thy rich neighbors, lest they also bid thee again, and recompense be made thee. But when thou makest a feast, call the poor, the maimed, the lame, the blind, that thou shalt be blessed, for they cannot recompense thee. They can't pay you back. For thou shalt be recompensed at the resurrection of the just. So here Jesus says, I have a principle that I want you to understand. It's a principle of grace. And he does this before the parable of the great supper of grace. But it's something that we should take heed to. And that is, we as Christ's followers should do as he did in providing for those who are in need. Not looking for payment or recognition, but to bless those who are in need. And we should be people of grace, giving something that a person does not deserve and cannot repay. That's the principle that he laid out. And we as Christians, those who bear his name, we should be doing that. We should be looking for those opportunities. Now, we can do that through the church. We heard that today. And we do that through the ministry of this church, whether it be missions abroad or people who have need here. That happens through this church. But we should be partakers of that in our own life. And in not just money, but also in our time and our talent as well. But, it, but I want you to pay attention to this parable of the Great Supper in verse 15. It says, And when one of them that sat at meat with him heard these things, he said unto him, Blessed is he that shall eat in the kingdom of God. Like he had something wise to say. And this is what, this is what Jesus had as the response. And he said unto him, A certain man made it a great supper and bade many, and sent his servant at supper time to say to them that were bidden, Come, for all things are now ready. And they all, with one consent, began to make excuse. The first said unto him, I bought a piece of ground, and I must needs go and see it. I pray thee, have me excused. And another said, I bought five yoke of oxen, and I go to prove them. I pray thee, have me excused. And another said, I have married a wife, and therefore I cannot come. So that servant came and showed his Lord these things. Then the master of the house, being angry, said unto his servant, Go out quickly into the streets and to the lanes of the city, and bring in hither the poor and the maimed and the halt and the blind. And that servant said, Lord, 
It is done as thou hast commanded, and yet there is room. And the Lord said unto the servant, Go out to the highways and hedges and compel them that come in, that my house may be filled. For I say unto you that none of those men which were bidden shall taste of my supper. Now what's going on here? Well, you have to understand what's happening with the nation of Israel and what's happening with God's kingdom. At this time, Jesus was coming as their king, the nation of Israel, and they rejected him. And just like God does throughout scripture, he is warning them, saying, you better be careful because if you don't come when I say come and you don't receive me as king, this is being turned out away. And the church, we as Gentiles, we're verse 23. You see, the Pharisees, the leaders of, of Israel, they were paying attention to what he was saying. And Jesus was making a point with the Pharisees and leaders of Israel that this was a prophetic warning. Jesus was warning the leaders of Israel that if they did not come to him and be restored in fellowship by receiving him as the king and master and Messiah, he would turn from them and extend his call to the lowly and even to the Gentiles. You know, God does this time and again in Scripture. He gives a warning, and that's what a good parent does too. Lays out a warning that you better do this because this is coming. And he sends the warning before he acts upon it. And this is the first of the five events in God's timeline in his kingdom outlined in the New Testament and noted by tracing the word supper through the Bible. So we see at the beginning of the New Testament or towards the beginning that God is saying to the nation of Israel, you better pay attention. I'm making a great supper. And if you want to partake, you need to come. Now we know what happened. But he was giving that warning. Now turn to Luke chapter 22 as we think through the timeline of what God is doing with his kingdom. In Luke 22 and verse 14, well, that's a dark picture. Um, it, um, it shows the Last Supper or, some, or what's also known as the Last Passover. In this mention of the word supper, it's the famous Last Supper when Jesus eats the Passover for the last time with his disciples. And here Jesus transforms the meaning of Passover from the Old Testament remembrance and celebration of God's deliverance of Israel from Egypt, remember that in the Old Testament in Exodus, to become a new celebration of his death and sacrifice as a means to redeem men from sin. So he's transforming the meaning. This used to be about getting out of of Egypt, but now it was going to be about him. And he went to his disciples. So he went from the leaders of Israel, and now he is talking to his disciples. And in verse 14 it says, When thine hour was come, he sat down and the twelve apostles with him. And he said unto them, What desire I have desired to eat this Passover with you before I suffer? For I say unto you, I will not any more eat thereof until it be fulfilled in the kingdom of God. And he took the cup and gave thanks and said, Take this and divide it among yourselves. For I say unto you, I will not drink of the fruit of the vine until the kingdom of God shall come. And he took bread and gave thanks and break it and gave unto them, saying, This is my body which is given for you. This do in remembrance of me. 
Likewise also the cup after supper, saying, This cup is the New Testament of my blood which is shed for you. In this Passover, this supper, Jesus declares his plan specifically to his disciples now. He is unfolding his progressive revelation now to his disciples and forever changing the meaning of Passover for his followers. Let's move down to the timeline just a little bit more. 1 Corinthians chapter 11. Now we already looked at, when I, when I opened, at the Lord's Supper and what we celebrate now. And what I want you to understand is what we celebrate now is rooted into all these things. And God has us repeatedly celebrate this. And that's why this is so magnificent. So we come to the present day celebration in the age of grace, that's the church age, for the New Testament church and what is known as the Lord's Supper. And we read 1 Corinthians 11 when I started what we celebrate today, the Lord's Supper. It's the remembrance of the Lord's Supper by the body of Christ until he comes. The purposeful remembrance for his church. But it's important to note that the context, the context of this passage on the Lord's Supper. We see that Paul is rebuking the Corinthian church for divisions, selfishness, absence of fellowship, an unloving attitude, and lack of service to their fellow brothers and sisters in Christ. So I want to point that out. Go to verse number 18. 1 Corinthians eleven eighteen. First of all, when you come together in the church, I hear that there be divisions among you. And I partly believe it. For there must be also heresies among you that they which are approved may be made manifest among you, that could be seen. When you come together, therefore, into one place, this is not to eat the Lord's Supper. For in eating, everyone taketh before other his own supper, and one is hungry and another drunken. What? Have you not houses to eat and drink in? Or despise ye the church of God? And shame them that have not? What shall I say unto you? Shall I praise you in this? I praise you not. So this is Paul speaking to the Corinthian church, and there's a few things going on here. Obviously, he references the Lord's Supper, but you have to understand, in the early church, it was very common that there was a fellowship meal or supper before the Lord's Supper. And the food that each brought was shared by all. But the Corinthian church had people who were greedy, and they would bring in their own stuff, and they would have steak and lobster and all this and their other friends would have crackers and they would mock and there would be divisions probably not steak and lobsters however um, in the corinthian church some were greedy with food and divisive with attitude so this lack of love and service caused a bad spirit for the lord's supper that followed and biblical fellowship could not and cannot be practiced when there are divisions so the point that i want us to understand is we cannot partake of the Lord's Supper if there are divisions. We need to take care of those first. Otherwise, it it will cause even further divisions for the Lord's Supper that is such a holy and special ordinance. The remembrance of what Jesus did on the cross for us must, must set the standard for how we treat our brothers and sisters in Christ. He loved and forgave us. We must do the same with our fellow brothers and sisters who are the body of Christ. And God wants us to understand that the deep and holy significance of what we celebrate in the Lord's Supper, so much so that he linked 
the great supper of grace and what he did with Israel when he warned them and would offer his grace outside of the nation of Israel. And then also he linked it to the Passover um, or the Last Supper with his 12 disciples. But also he linked the Lord's Supper to what he is going to do in the future with the kingdom of God in his church. Turn to Revelation chapter 19 and verse 6. This is the marriage supper of the Lamb. This is the next point for the church after the rapture. And it's the promise for his church to be called and blessed. And that's what we're waiting for. Revelation 19 verse 6. And I heard as it were the voice of a great multitude. And as the voice of many waters. And the voice of mighty thundering saying. Alleluia for the Lord God omnipotent reigneth. Verse 7. Let us be glad and rejoice and give honor to him. For the marriage of the lamb has come. And his wife hath made herself ready. And to her was granted that she should be arrayed in fine linen, clean and white. Praise the Lord because of his righteousness. For the fine linen is the righteousness of the saints. And he saith unto me, write, blessed are they which are called unto the marriage supper of the lamb. And he saith unto me, these are the true sayings of God. And I fell at his feet to worship. And he said unto me, see thou do it not. I am thy fellow servant. So this is the angel saying, And of thy brethren that have the testimony of Jesus, worship God, for the testimony of Jesus is the spirit of prophecy. So this is the prophecy for us of what's coming up next for the church after the rapture. This is a picture of the glorified church in heaven and of her triumph and happiness with the Lamb. The Lord Jesus Christ this is the promise that Jesus made in Luke twenty two sixteen. For I say unto you, I will not any more eat thereof until it be fulfilled in the kingdom of God. And this is what will happen at the marriage supper of the Lamb. And this is what we look to when Christ, uh, when Christ Jesus the Lord will gather his church together in the rapture. Both those who have physically died and those who are alive, us, Lord willing, when he comes. And he will then take us to fellowship with him at the marriage supper of the Lamb. And at this supper, he will amass his church, his bride, to be with him and in each other as he prepares us for the final supper that is called the Supper of the Great God to fulfill his pure justice, holy righteousness, and wrath on the world. So the last point and the exclamation point is just a few verses down. Skip down to verse 11 of Revelation 19, the Supper of the Great God. Revelation 19.11, we see the prophecy of justice realized as Jesus' wrath is poured out on the wicked and on sinful, on the sinful at Armageddon. Look at verse 11. And I saw heaven open, and behold, a white horse, and he that sat upon him was called faithful and true, and in righteousness doth he judge and make war. His eyes, this is Jesus, his eyes were as a flame of fire, and his head were were many crowns, on his head were many crowns, and he had a name written that no man knew but he himself. And he was clothed with a vesture dipped in blood. And his name is called the Word of God. And the armies which were in heaven followed him upon white horses, that's you and me if you're saved today, clothed in fine linen and in white and clean. And out of his mouth goeth a sharp sword that with 
with it he should smite the nations and he should rule them with a rod of iron. And he treadeth the winepress of the fierceness and the wrath of God Almighty. And he hath on his vesture and on his thigh a name written, King of kings and Lord of lords. Hallelujah. And I saw an angel standing in the sun, and he cried with a loud voice, saying to all the fowls that fly in the midst of heaven, Come and gather yourselves together unto the supper of the great God, that you may eat the flesh of kings and the flesh of captains and the flesh of mighty men and the flesh of horses and of them that sit on them and the flesh of all men, both free and bond, both small and great. Now that's a hard passage to take in. But if you understand it and the significance of what God is showing us in the timeline, do you remember the first mention of this? The fellowship of wickedness. At the last mention of the word supper, God says, I'm taking care of wickedness and sin. Righteousness will ensue. The supper of the great God will be a fellowship of the righteous war against absolute evil, personified in men and Satan's evil host as they unite against God and his heavenly host. What will happen in that day is all nations will unite against God. You cannot tell us what to do. We start, we, we're starting to see that happen now. I will have it my way, and I will have it no other way. God or whomever, it will be my way. You nation, all the nations will unite, and then Satan will actually be part of that, uniting against God. All the world uniting in evil and wickedness against God. And God will put that down, and, and he will conquer. And praise God, we will be part of that. I don't fully understand that, but just watch a superhero movie, a Marvel movie, and you'll get a glimpse of, of what that might look like. Probably not, but it'll, it'll give you a little bit. So, as I think back in November, the red rock of, of the blood of, of those who are wicked and sinful and rejecting God and only want selfishness and wickedness and then God says I gave my blood and the Grand Canyon the expanse of of sin that gap that divides us with with God Jesus felt filled that gap with his love as wide as we can see and so much more it's really beyond the Grand Canyon it's really the gap between here and heaven Because of Jesus, it can also represent the great love and the great link God has shown through the person of Jesus Christ. I'm going to cut short for time's sake. But um, what, what I want you to see is if, if we'll only dig into the word and see the pictures and the tapestry that God has put in there. Just even looking at the simple word supper, God says, I have so much more for you. It's connected personally to your fellowship and how you live your life in your, whether you want to choose sin or you want to serve me or you want to see how my service to you is in that fellowship. And it also connects to the timeline that we are on right now. And God says, this is what I want you to do as an ordinance regularly. To me, that's amazing. But that's how, who our God is. The first mention of the word supper in Mark 6 shows the wicked man who is the king, King Herod, who cut down life of the godly man, John the Baptist. 
And the last mention of the word supper in Revelation 19 shows Jesus the King and his glorified host, that's you and me if you're saved today, cutting off the lives of the wicked men of the earth. Who at that point, it's going to be much more wicked than anything we see right now. It's utter wickedness that will be poured out. And God will put a stop to it. Both the first and the last mention of the word supper deal with the wicked. And in the first mention, sin is glorified. In the last mention, sin is dealt with. And justice and righteousness is upheld once and for all. Praise God. God is showing us how significant the Lord's Supper is. And this is just one aspect. And how it fits into the plan with his kingdom. By tracing the word supper through the New Testament... We see how the Lord's Supper fits into God's timeline for his church and his kingdom. And it's our tie to the past of what God is doing with his church and our tie to the future. It's his plan of the progressive revelation revealed at the breadcrumb trail throughout his word. For those who will study to show themselves to prove a workman who needeth to not be ashamed, they will see it. You won't see it in the modern versions. But you'll see it in God's holy word if you'll just look and study it out. I started with the, la- the question, so next slide and last slide. So why do we celebrate the Lord's Supper by eating? I didn't really touch on that. Obviously, I don't have time. You guys want to see the Chiefs game. But <laughs> I, 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 could, I could go till then. But, but just understand this. So we celebrate it by eating, right? Hmm, that eating thing. When you see the pictures that God puts in his word and you see the patterns, and you pay attention to it, God wants to show you something and see the significance of what he's doing. So I don't have time right now, but just ponder this for a second. Just three instances. When, when it happened in the garden with Adam and Eve, what were they doing? Eating, right? So it starts the first sin of eating from a forbidden tree in the garden. And now for us, God says it's so important that you Remember me in the Lord's Supper by the practice of eating because I want you to remember the sacrifice that I've given to you by eating. And then consider one other place in Revelation 22. People will eat of the tree of life and be healed. God's a a masterful artist. And if we just pay attention to the picture that he's putting and put the pieces of the puzzle together, he's painted a mosaic of pictures for us and we just have to dig in his word to see it and to understand the significance and the holiness of the ordinance called the Lord's Supper. It's tied very intimately with our fellowship and it's tied to what is happening in the timeline that God is using. It's amazing. Praise the Lord. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, Lord, we we praise you.